This is a podcast from Minute Media. I'm solid to the crack, never change me and my son the rain. It gets wet when we hang. I'm solid, could touch the blue part of the flame, the blue part of the flame. And nothing I just want to roll with those in the bottom, give you a cheese today. The sports comedy podcast that's weighing offers for James Harden that weigh less than James Harden. I'm your host, Adam Weiner, but you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming on Peacock. But no, not there. Not not there either. Your cursor's not on it. No, no, I know it looks like it is, but it's not. Just scroll scroll down. Down. uh, No, okay, you clicked on the Save by the Bell reboot. Big show today. Former national champion Alabama tight end twice. Hale Hedges is here to block for me. Courtesy of Zebra Sports and also to talk about Mac Jones and their next-gen stats. But first, let's take a quick trip through the headlines. The Sacramento Kings blew up the NBA trade deadline early and reminded the world they're still a franchise, though not for long. Sacramento acquired Demonis Sabonis from the Pacers, so just like with his dad, it looks like we're all going to be left wondering what could have been if he'd only played in the NBA sooner. Meanwhile, the Kings traded their 2020 first-round steel point guard to Indy, the second-biggest war crime to ever involve a Halliburton. The Portland Trailblazers dealt all-star CJ McCollum to the New Orleans Pelicans. McCollum could be dangerous by Zion Williamson's side if he ever got injured, too. Former Browns head coach Hugh Jackson clarified he wasn't actually paid to lose, though Cleveland fans would definitely disagree. Jackson says, on the contrary, the Browns demanded he finish 5-27 in two years, but he worked hard to exceed expectations. Fans flocked to bet on the Pro Bowl in Las Vegas this week. That's degenerate behavior, said a 68-year-old down the street at the Bellagio who got their oxygen pump caught on a slot machine. They played such little defense in the Pro Bowl that I snuck onto the field for a few snaps. And yeah, I got obliterated. Odell Beckham Jr. says he nearly signed with either the Patriots or Saints after his midseason release, but ultimately he chose the better team in the better city that's in the Super Bowl, so literally, who cares? When asked about coming out of retirement, Tom Brady predictably said, never say never, though he did say it with his calf muscles crossed. Pliability. Three-time medalist Sean White has announced he will retire after the 2022 Winter Olympics. As long as he doesn't fight out, he retired after the 2014 Olympics. Many of us are struggling to watch these Olympics because of the host nation's human rights violations, and we can't wait for the games to come back to America, the country that does everything good. The Cleveland Cavaliers reunited Karis LeVert with Jared Allen, trading for the Pacers forward. Meanwhile, the Brooklyn Nets reunited Steve Nash with disappointment by keeping James Harden. English superstar Wayne Rooney says he drank to cope with the pressures of elite soccer. Said his fans, Oi, me too, and I'm the queen. That was the Queen of England, his fan. Major League Baseball has stopped steroid testing during the league-wide shutdown. In an unrelated story, David Ortiz is planning a comeback. A Honus Wagner baseball card ripped in half has sold for $475,000. And I know what you're thinking, and yep, it was the butt half. Honus Wagner, not a looker, except for in the trunk. Meanwhile, a rookie card of 19-year-old Yankees prospect Jason Dominguez sold this week for 474000 even though he's only played 49 games at single A. Said the buyer, well, it was either that or the honeymoon. A decision made easier because he does not have a wife. 
And now, courtesy of Zebra Sports, my interview with two-time Alabama national champion tight end and a man who had Mac Jones in his wedding, Hale Henches. Hale, thanks so much for joining me today. I know Mac Jones was one of your groomsmen, I've been told. First of all, congrats. Um, I'm getting married myself this year. I know how much of a hassle congrats. that is. Um, <laughs> thank you. Let's yeah, let's just exchange congrats back and forth for a little while now. Um, congrats to you. Congrats to everybody. Um, congrats to you. <laughs> thank you. Um, but you, you had Mac involved in your wedding party. Now, does he run a ceremony the same way he runs an offense, just pointing out bridesmaids, changing their routes, just ruthless efficiency? Absolutely. I mean, I think what you've seen this season is Mac has just done a great job with uh, being a field general, you know, commanding people. And, and one thing that I think was evident is that, you know, if the NFL doesn't work out, he could have a great career in uh, wedding planning because he's so good at being organized, you know, telling people where to go, what to do, you know, changing the play if something bad happens. Um, and it's certainly, you know, just all part of his personality. And that's one of the reasons why he's having that success. What was the groomsman gift that you got him? Oh, it was like a, um, it was a, um, like a, like a bathroom kit that was like, um, uh, initials, you know, uh, monogrammed kind of in a way. So it's actually been a while, uh, three years or so. So, um, I, hopefully he still uses it. I don't know if he does or not. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, it helps me too, cause I'm still looking for tips. So I'll, I'll, I'll oh, get yeah. a, yeah. I'll get a monogram bathroom set. Maybe I'll just put Mac Jones's initials on it. Maybe my groomsmen will love that too. There you go. <laughs> um, I would love to know more about your unique insight on Mac specifically. You've obviously got a personal relationship and you know, you've got knowledge of zebra sports and deck gen stats and all the stats that you guys work with. Can you tell me a little bit more about your role with zebra and what you've seen through the job that indicates Mac might be way ahead of where people projected he'd be after year one. Yeah. And so, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm specifically involved in is uh, I'm a channel account manager uh, on the enterprise side where I am really, you know, helping our partners and our reseller um, in the uh, in our reselling community sell to their customers and, and making sure that they have everything they need to be enabled to uh, make sales. So in a way, it's a sales facing role. Um, but, you know, specifically with the NFL and my, my work here, you know, and uh, just what we do in the NFL, uh, we are the uh, player tracking provider for the NFL on game day. Uh, and we do, you know, come up with all kinds of stats to help enhance the game and, and really show um, players, fans, coaches, a different side of the game and maybe try and open it up a little bit more. There are certain stats um, like completion percentage over expectation, right? That kind of take those stats that we all know and love, like, um, you know, just completion percentage or yards or um, passing attempts and really, you know, just kind of enhance it in a way that uh, opens up the game. Amazing. Um, so Max specifically is somebody who, um, sort of an effortless transition to the NFL last yeah. year. I think everybody knew the pedigree was there. And, and he's one of those guys who, if you watched him with the tide, you know, he wins, he finds open receivers, et cetera. But he's, he's doing all that in year one with the Patriots. Um, is there anything you think he, you know, what made that transition so seamless for him? 
I'd say the biggest thing is, is no one works harder than Mac. Um, and that's something that we saw whenever he was, you know, a, a skinny freshman coming in uh, at Alabama. And, you know, everyone was, um, you know, kind of thinking like, okay, you know, here's a new quarterback. He's running the scout team. He's doing really well, but he's really hard on himself. And he beats himself up. And, you know, I think whenever I see that, I was a similar way. Whenever I you know, kind of look at that, I see someone who really cares, who has a desire to win, who has a desire to be successful. And, and that's really driven by his hard work. Uh, and that was blatantly evident to me when he first stepped on campus was just no one was going to outwork the kid. And that has been uh, just provided a seamless transition to the NFL. And he still does that. I mean, to have the kind of success that he had <clears throat> as a rookie um, really just is a testament to his hard work and learning a new system, learning a new environment. Um, and, you know, he's he's really just earned everything he's done. That's why that smooth transition has has happened. Now, do you think losing Josh McDaniels is going to hinder that development at all? Or is he just the kind of guy who will outwork any, you know, circumstance that he is faced with? Absolutely. And I think you got to go back to Alabama days. You know, we had uh, a handful of different offensive coordinators, right? Um, I'm a little bit older than Max. So whenever I was there, uh, we had, you know, Lane Kiffin, um, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, Brian Dable, Michael Loxley. So, I mean, we had our, our fair share of different offensive coordinators. Um, and I think one thing that our quarterbacks did really well, especially Mac, is just adjusting to that difference and, you know, finding out the commonalities. Here's what we did last year. Here's what we're going to do this year. And just capitalizing on that. And I think that's what something, um, you know, having someone at the helm like Coach Saban or, you know, Coach Belichick is really going to do a good job of, <clears throat> you know, this is the Crimson Tide way. This is the Patriot way. And that's probably not going to change no matter who they bring in there. Um, and that's certainly something that that lends to Mac's um, favor. Very similar type of transition that he dealt with every year at Alabama and then moving forward to the Patriots. I don't think that's going to be a big hindrance for him because um, anything that comes up, there's nothing too big for him. It takes everything in stride. <clears throat> now, how did he change over the course of his time in Tuscaloosa? And, and what did he maybe pick up on from the guys ahead of him in, in Jalen Hurts and, and Tua? Or was he sort of, you know, the Mac Jones we know now day one when he shows up? Yeah, I think what people would understand about who he is now to where he was, you know, when he first got here is just that natural arm talent and that ability to um, make incredible throws down the field and to make really smart decisions. That is one thing that I think gets lost sometimes at at quarterback, especially on the highest level, because everyone's kind of got that knack to do it. But Mac makes incredible decisions um, in the backfield and really someone who uh, I think one thing that, you know, he's really gained and really learn from the people in front of him is just that leadership role and that command of the huddle that he now has. And, you know, even as a rookie, I mean, I remember coming in in my couple years in the NFL and, um, you know, some of the quarterbacks who had a really good command of the huddle, no matter what age they were, it was, it was evident. And I think Mac has that, Uh, but he didn't always have that. And that was something uh, he had to learn and and really grow and develop and, and, and change into that player that he is today. I feel like he's always had the arm talent, He's always had that playmaking uh, decision kind of uh, ability, and he's always been really smart. I mean, a 4.0 in college, uh, and, uh, you know, certainly that shouldn't be overlooked because that's hard to do, and and that's why he's got such a mental edge over some of his opponents as well. So, um, you know, I would say just that that leadership ability has grown and developed. You look at these Alabama rosters that, that you were on, and, you know, we all remember it in the moment. You know, we all know the star power that, that's in, you know, on the roster. But then when you read them back a couple of years later, it really pops out to you. You're basically reading this year's Pro Bowl team when you read mm-hmm. about your national championship rosters. This might sound simplistic, but what was it like just being on campus with those guys? Yeah. 
you're, you're in yeah. class with like Trevon Diggs. Like what's the experience here? I think the experience was just uh, a very evident understanding to me that, you know, the people that I'm around have, have greatness destined um, to them. And I need to step up my game in order to be on the same field with them. And I think that's one thing Alabama does really well is, you know, that competition that we go through every day in practice breeds excellence. And, um, you know, it's really something that having more players around you who are dynamic and are playmakers. I mean, I remember in 2016, that defense that we went against, I mean, every day it was, you know, someone who just gosh, was a, either a second round pick or a third round pick, first round pick. <clears throat> and as, you know, a tight end or an offensive lineman, it seemed like we couldn't catch break. Now, especially a tight end, you know, I'd, I'd block Jonathan Allen or I have to crack down on Deron Payne, you know, or, you know, have to um, go lead up on a linebacker like Sean Dion Hamilton and I'm running a route. I'm going against Minka Fitzpatrick. And, you know, it just seems like I could not catch a break. No, no matter what I was doing, I was going against someone who was destined for the NFL. And, and that really helped me focus on my game and become a better player. So I think the biggest thing to me was just an understanding that I need to work harder to be, to be better, to, to be, um, you know, to go against some of these players that we have to go against every day. Now you blocked for Damian Harris. You blocked mm -hmm. for Derrick Henry for a little bit. Uh, do you wish you could have blocked for Derrick Henry, by the way, when he was in high school and he was like 220 <laughs> pounds running over just a bunch of yeah. Justin Bieber's on the other team? <laughs> I don't think I would have even needed to be out there. I mean, if you've seen the highlight tape, I'm sure you have. Um, it, it doesn't matter if they had 30 people on that defense, if there was no one blocking for him, it, it really didn't matter. So I don't think I would have made any difference, but it would have been nice to be able to, uh, you know, just throw a, throw a decent block out there and let him just do his thing. So, and then honestly, that was a lot of, of what we did my freshman year when he won the Heisman in 2015, it was just, just get in the way and let him do his thing. And uh, just, you know, and that, that was a lot of it. And it, it is now too, with the Titans, you've seen that same success carry over. What's the best thing you ever heard a defender say after getting flattened by either you or Derek, just in the wake <laughs> of your blocking? Um, I would say maybe not what they said, but a situation. Um, my very first game, uh, we were playing Wisconsin in the, I think it was like the Advocare kickoff bowl um, down in, uh, in Dallas. And <clears throat> Derek just absolutely flattened a Wisconsin secondary player. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was a, a moment where he kind of, you know, staggered and stumbled and got up and walked over to our huddle uh, on the other side of the field. And, uh, you know, everyone was like, you know, what, what's, what's wrong with this guy? Because I, I legitimately think he got a concussion from trying to tackle Derek around his thighs, low around the, the knees, and just gave him a concussion right then and there and kind of knocked him out of consciousness. And uh, that was my first understanding of like, wow, this Derek Henry guy is, is really good. And then it became very evident throughout that year. Yeah, I now I forgot about that, and now I remember that, and it's it's coming it's coming into clarity for me. Yeah. Um. So this I have to ask because I've never been to Tuscaloosa. I've never been to an SEC game. I feel like it's it's top of my bucket list is is getting there, and obviously getting to a couple of the other you know home home stadiums. But yeah. let's say I go to Tuscaloosa. I've never been there before. I got 24 hours. What is the one food item and the one bar that I can't miss? Gotcha. I have to, I have to get food. I have to go out. So food, um, I can give you a couple options, but I think it's got to start with breakfast, right? And if you want a phenomenal breakfast that has just like rich crimson tide history and really good food, um, you got to go to Ramajamas, which is on the corner of the stadium. Um, it's, uh, you know, kind of right in the shadow of the stadium. It's a really cool spot always busy during game day but you know if you get there soon enough you can find 
uh, a spot and they got really good breakfast. So would love to start there. Uh, I room with offensive linemen. So the food choices were very important to us. <laughs> it was never, uh, never like, Oh, we'll just eat whatever. It always had to be planned out. Um, so definitely that for breakfast. Uh, and then, you know, if you're talking about a bar and like a place for lunch, things like that, you got to go to Innisfree, which is an Irish pub, um, which is, again, close to the stadium. Everything is kind of centered around the stadium and great atmosphere, really good food. Uh, I would suggest um, like some of their loaded fries are super good and everything like wings, all that stuff. If you're looking for like bar food, that's the best place to go. I would say that's probably the busiest bar on campus. Um, and it's always a good time. So definitely hit up those two spots. Good. I love it. Uh, I love a good Irish pub. This is exactly Absolutely. what I was hoping to get. This is exactly what yep. I was hoping to get from this. I really appreciate yep. um, the clarity there. I mean, I knew I'd love, mm-hmm. I knew I'd love the place, but now I know. Um, this is the kind of question that you can only ask <laughs> Alabama players. Which of your national championships was more memorable? <laughs> you yeah. More than one in a very short span of time. Absolutely. No, great question. Um, I would say <clears throat> in 2017, whenever we played Georgia um, into had the second and 26 where we won in overtime, you know, that was really just a, a great season and, and phenomenal to be a part of. You know, I got to play an even bigger role than I did um, my freshman year when I was more of just kind of like the blocking tight end. You know, I really got to split starting time with Irv Smith Jr., the other tight end. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> And really be a big part of that team. And, um, you know, just just kind of some of the adversity that we went through. Obviously, you know, everyone remembers Jalen starting that game and then uh, Coach Saban pulling him and, and everyone being like, you know, what's going on? Like, why? You know, we're only down by like 10 points or, or whatever it was. Like, why are we changing up our entire thing? And, you know, that was really that moment where I understood, like, man, Coach Saban has such a good plan for our success and he just knows what's best for us. And, you know, to make that change to, to go against Tua or to go with Tua was, was something that, um, you know, I think Georgia did a really good job of taking away Jalen's ability to scramble and make plays and things like that. And we go and put in Tua and the passing game opens up and, you know, you just saw us play so much better from that point. So that one was really memorable just because the highs and the lows. And obviously, you know, you got to walk off like that. It was, um, I'll never forget like being on the sideline for that play and, you know, wondering like, oh, we just got sacked, you know, second and 26, um, you know, this game's slipping out of our hands and then makes that throw. And I just remember just running onto the field. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Which, which locker room celebration was crazier. I kind of assume it has to be after the walk-off touchdown. Had, yeah. Had to be that one for sure. Just because of the, you know, the, the nature of the game and it being so unexpected and it was uh, just very special. Amazing. Um, I assume you still have all your championship gear and stuff from both titles. Absolutely. I'll never, uh, I'll never get rid of those. That's for sure. It's uh, something where I I never, I need to find more ways to like wear the rings and do things like that. I never know when the appropriate time to do that is, you know, I don't, it's kind of hard to figure out like, okay, you don't want to be walking around with, you know, much, (laughs) a bunch of stuff on your hands, but uh, it's, they're fun. They're fun to to wear and uh, always a conversation starter. Yeah. Not necessarily. You don't want to walk around with them all the time, but like, you know, sometimes, sometimes you want them. Exactly. Um, now, what is the angriest you've ever seen Nick Saban? And what is the happiest you've ever seen Nick Saban? Absolutely. So I would say personally, what two things that affected me maybe the most. Um, my freshman year was this was kind of like my first dip into just like getting one of his classic like butt chewings, you know. So we had an outside run call, like an outside zone between me and the tackle um, and they were, they were bringing a corner cat. They were bringing a blitz. And, you know, I was kind of 
knew enough to not be able to understand like, okay, you know, the, the safety's rolled down, the corner might be blitzing, be on the lookout for that. So I needed to make what we call an out call um, to just basically shift the entire line over and let me get the corner instead of the receiver. Uh, and then the tackle get the defensive end. We both ended up logging a defensive end, corner makes the play. I'm like third and two, and it was against Middle Tennessee State. Um, and, you know, it was kind of one of those situations where we had won the game already, and he just wants the backups to, you know, kind of do their job. Just do your job, execute, and I did not. And, you know, he, I went over to the sideline, and he, you know, just gave me the, the butt chewing of a lifetime. I will never forget that. And uh, just kind of like the look in his eyes. Obviously, he's a shorter guy, um, and I'm, I was probably about a foot taller than him. And uh, you just remember, like, just like the piercing glare and just, you know, like, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Did you not see that? You know, I just remember the feeling that I felt in that moment. I will never have happened again. And I think I never really got a, a butt chewing like that after that. But that's that one that sticks out to me the most. And then obviously, I think everyone, um, you know, just remembers his different blow ups that he's had against um, you know, different coaches that we've had on the sideline. And that's like people see that and they say, oh, man, like Coach Saban must just be an angry guy. He's really not. He's, he wants what's best for the players, and he gets upset and frustrated whenever little things are not done correctly. And that kind of excellence is the reason why Alabama has been successful year after year because you know, nothing is – even if we're up by 50 points, um, you know, the, the backup tight end missing an out call could be like, okay, well, who cares? Well, that's, that's important. Everything matters. And so um, I, I, I understand why he does things like that, and the media doesn't always get that, but that, that's who he is. And what about the happiest you've ever seen him? Is that after that 2017 title? Yeah, I think, you know, after that and, and always, um, there's just, I, I think some things that are like maybe go unnoticed um, are he's got a birthday on October 31st. He's a Halloween baby. And we usually have practice for the most part, at least the four years, whenever I was there, it always coincided on a weekday. So um we always would like do the same thing every year. He's a creature of habit. And we would, they would all come into the meeting rooms and we would sing happy birthday to him and we would all have cupcakes and stuff like that. And um, it was just like the joy that he felt in that moment, even though he knows what's coming. It's the same thing every year. <laughs> uh, but just you can see like, man, he cares about his players. His players care about him. And that's like truly a joyful moment that he has every single year. Um, and, you know, we sing happy birthday to him and everything. And then he goes right back to coaching. But he's always really happy in that moment. Amazing. Um, now you did, you spent some time in the NFL after your Alabama career wrapped up. Um, and now you've transitioned into a space where, you know, you're working with the NFL again, you're, you know, keeping track of statistics to help them, you know, grow their game, figure out different ways to exploit the game. What did you learn during your, you know, NFL tenure that helped translate to this new role? Yeah, I would say some of the biggest things is I've always tried to be the hardest worker in the room. Um, and that was certainly the case in the NFL. And I really tried to maximize the, the um, talent that I had. And I felt like I got to a point where no matter how hard I worked, I just was not going to run four, four as a tight end. Like it just, it wasn't going to happen. And, um, you know, there were some uh, physical limitations that I knew that I just didn't quite have to, to continue to measure up. And that's when I learned like, okay, sometimes at the end of the day, like no matter how hard you work, sometimes it's just not enough. Everyone else is doing that too. And, and you can't always just rely on hard work to, to get, you, get you where you want to go. And that's certainly something I've tried to do. But what was even more evident for me is just how good some of these pros are at, um, 
um, studying, game plan, you know, knowing the opponent inside and out. And that's something that our stats do a really good job of is they provide, again, that flavor, that enhancement to the stats that we already know and love. For instance, like I'll just go into some of Mac's stats here. Um, tied for seventh highest completion percentage over expectation at 1.2%. Um, and highest as a rookie in 2021. So, you know, what that tells you as a defensive back is, you know, Mac's going to make some tough throws. He's going to make um, some plays that, you know, he might take a little bit of a risk, uh, but it's going to be a calculated risk. So if I know that I'm a defender covering a receiver or a tight end, I know that, um, you know, even if I haven't blanketed, be ready because he can still be firing that ball in there. Um, and, you know, he's also um, tied for ninth highest intended air yard average at 8.1 air yards. Uh, and for comparison, Joe Burrow was 8.3. So, again, you know, just a dynamic quarterback um, who does a great job of moving the ball downfield. So all those stats tell me that, you know, I need to prepare. I need to know my opponent inside and out. And as a defensive back, if I had these stats, you know, I really can take my game to a new level. And combined with that hard work, combined with my natural talent, that's how I can really be top of game. Incredible. I We've talked enough about Mac. We've given Mac a lot of praise. Before we sign off, I have to know, what is one embarrassing secret the world should know about Mac Jones that they don't? We, we've given him praise. The stats tell the story. Let's embarrass him a little bit. Yeah, yeah no, I think I think one of the funniest things, like, um, about Mac and, like, just our own, like, personal um, friendship is he's just goofy. Like, you would never know based off of um, – you know, how he's, how his presence is on the field, right? Totally poised, totally calm. But like whenever he's, you know, having fun and, and just relaxing a little bit, he's the goofiest guy. I mean, making dad jokes, making, you know, all kinds of things that are just like kind of squirrely, you know, in a way. And that was always the, um, the, uh, our friendship dynamic between all of our friends was just like, you know, Mac was going to just provide laughs and jokes and just not be afraid to like make a fool of himself. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I really respect him and like him is because, you know, he's just that same genuine guy, no matter what. And, uh, so, um, inside of that, like hearty exterior, he is a, a goofball for sure. The world needs to know that. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Hale, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks so much for laying out these numbers. Really impressive stuff, and best of luck uh, this week and moving forward. Happy Super Bowl, man. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate you letting me join, and I uh, hope everyone has a great game on Sunday. Hail inches, courtesy of Zebra Sports, everybody. Remember that time Derrick Henry's thigh concussed a guy? What a wild ride. And now, my final flame. During Odell Beckham Jr.'s Super Bowl media availability, wide receiver Jarvis Landry appeared asking a question, which is interesting because after a bit of research, I was able to determine that both men used to be teammates. Which begs the question, how was Landry able to get a credential to the event? He plays for an NFL team known as the Cleveland Browns, not an NFL newspaper known as the Cleveland Black and Whites, for newsprint. For someone like me who spent decades getting through journalism school, this was plainly an affront to the business. You can't just cut the line because you know the interview subject. I caught up with Mr. Landry after the Zoom availability was over, during which the wideout told Mr. Beckham, quote, I love you and go get that ring. While that moment was heartwarming, I can't tell you how many times I've told an athlete I loved them only to be roundly admonished by my coworkers. Why was Landry given special privilege? He isn't even a journalist. When asked about his behavior, Mr. Landry demurred, to which I protested. 
he responded by demurring, at which point I protested further, then demurred just a bit, followed by my most fervent protest yet. By the end of my protesting, Mr. Landry had exited the Zoom room, something I didn't know was possible, but something that certainly explains why I've sat in so many Zoom rooms for so long, until several unrelated people join the call and start gossiping about me. Every time. All I ask is to be professional in these types of situations. Don't forget your journalistic integrity along the way. And if your quote-unquote teammate and friend joins your media day Zoom session, do everyone a courtesy and let me also tell you I love you. My thanks to Hale Hedges. See you all next Thursday and go Bengals and Rams. Oh, and also go Robert Mueller and the rule of law. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.